Uh, I'm so happy to be back here uh, sharing with you guys what God has laid on my heart uh, as we discuss, uh, continue on with our series on when Jesus comes to church. And so, uh, anyways, as uh, you guys have the joy of getting to listen to me two times in a row, which is the first time ever, and so hopefully I didn't chase you guys away with the last message. Uh, it was recorded, uh, and so I did have some opportunity to, to make some cuts and stuff like that. And so hopefully this, this message flows just as well uh, as the last one. And so before I get into it, I just want to pray uh, and, uh, and just kind of bless this time that we have this morning. And so, Father, uh, God, we thank you, God, that we can come before you. Father, that because of the relationship you've given us, we can enter into this beautiful relationship, God, that we can stand before you and praise your name. God, we give you all the glory God, everything that is said today, uh, the message that is preached today, let it be your words spoken, Father. Let it penetrate our hearts. God, change and transform us and mold us to be more like your son, Jesus. We just pray this in your son's name. Amen. Awesome. Well, uh, so like I said before, we are continuing on with our series, uh, When Jesus Comes to Church, and we're looking at the different letters, the seven letters uh, in the church, to the churches in Revelation. And so uh, oh, I just want to recap what we've talked about up until this point, because I believe that what we have learned uh, so far from what Brent has preached and what I have shared with you guys over the past couple weeks is something that uh, the things that we've learned from these churches are things that we can pull out that are very applicable to how we do church today. And so the first church being Ephesus, and Brent preached on this church, and this was the church that abandoned its, lo- uh, its love for Christ and his teachings. The lesson in this letter to the church of Ephesus teaches that truth and love must go hand in hand. That God's truth, that we must, uh, as a church, uh, to be fashioned in his image, we must teach God's truth in love. The second church being the one that I spoke on, and this is the church that remains faithful in and amongst, in and amidst persecution. And this was the church of Smyrna. And that even though they were under great tribulation, great persecution, that they remained faithful to Jesus through everything. And that nothing caused them to waver in that faith, even in and amongst the culture that they were in. And that we can learn that we're called to persevere uh, in in our faith, even amongst the things that we may face in day-to-day life. The third church being Pergamum. And this was a church that compromised on its beliefs. And this is the one that Brent preached on. And that like like the Christians in Pergamum, it is easy for us to normalize non-Christian behavior of those around us and allow the behavior to dilute our values. And so we're called not to, not to let our values, our beliefs that are based on the truth in God's word and his revelation to us, that we are called to stand strong in it and not waver. And then last week, I preached on Thyatira. 
And this church, similar to Pergamum, uh, compromised, but they also began to tolerate the sins within their church, allowing sin and heresy to creep into the church uh, for the sake of loving the community around them. Uh, uh, Loving the community that they are in and for the sake of selfish gain. And so, Today, I want us to look at the fifth letter, which is to the church in Sardis. And so if you guys want, turn to uh, Revelations 3, 1 to 6 with me, and we can read it. And so it begins in uh, chapter 3, verse, verse 1, and it says, To the angel of the church in Sardis write, These are the words of him who holds seven spirits of God, the seven stars. I know your deeds. You have a reputation of being alive, but yet you are dead. Wake up. Strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard. Hold fast to it and repent. But if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief in the night. You will not know uh, at what time I will come to you. Yet you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. They will walk with me dressed in white, for they are worthy." The one who is victorious will, like them, be dressed in white. I will never blot out their name from the book of life, but will acknowledge their name before my Father and his angels. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. As we continue throughout this series, Brent, at the beginning of this, asked us these questions uh, to introduce our series. And I think these are key questions, and I've, I've repeated them a couple of times uh, as I've uh, started my sermons. But I think they're important questions that as we go in and we look at this church, as we looked at all the other churches, that these are questions that we should be asking. The first one being, if Jesus visited our church what would he say? Would he be impressed with the things that are happening that are going on within our church? Would he notice the same things that we do? Throughout this message, I ask and I plead with you to think about these questions. Think about how, uh, how what, we can, what we can learn from this church, from the church in Sardis, what we can learn from them in the letter that is written to them, and apply it to how we live today. So in summary, I want to just give you a quick little background understanding of what was happening within the culture of this, uh, this, uh, this city at the time. Now, Sardis was located in what we know as modern-day Turkey. Sardis is known for its worship of the goddess Artemis. And an amazing thing is, is that even what we've seen in all the other churches is that when there's idol worship or worship of pagan gods present within the city, usually that's followed by persecution. But there is no evidence, uh, from what I've searched and looked, there is no evidence of persecution 
really happening within this church. Uh, within this church, the city of Sardis was once one of the was once one of the richest and most powerful cities in the known world. It was situated, and the reason for it being one of the richest, it was situated in. Uh, uh, in the center of five trade routes that were coming from all different parts of the country. And so it was a rich city that really hadn't had much to do to achieve its prosperity. It had been given to it because of all the industries that are coming, uh, coming through there through trade. The city was located on top of a hill, and it was so steep that its defenses seemed impregnable. So they were one of the most prosperous cities at, at some points, and they, were, and they were also one of the most impregnable fortresses. But yet, but yet, it had been conquered two times, mainly because they, had, they were so confident in how... Uh, how they were they, they understood themselves as being impregnable and and no one could reach their their gates because of the steep cliff sides but yet they because they were so confident their their defenses were down and they were able to be taken over a couple of times it was this sense of ease and apathy that eventually led to the downfall of sardis There was no threat. Uh, the same thing was going on within the church. There was, they were relaxed and they were at ease with how everything was going. They felt like they were doing well, that they were, that they were alive, and they were doing what God, is, God had called them to do. But what we learn in the letter is that was not the case. There was no threat from inside or outside of the church. And uh, and so, with them being sheltered and unthreatened, with no persecution happening within this church, this, uh, the church in Sardis gradually wilted away until there was, nothing, uh, there was no substance. And, and Jesus said these very words to them. These words that I believe, as I read, if I had this said to me, it would hurt. And Jesus said these words. I know your deeds. You have the reputation of seeming alive, but you are dead. Ouch. I couldn't imagine having that spoken or, 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 or told to me. And I think that this is, this is the launching point of what we want to get at with this church and how we want to understand and what we can apply to how we do church and how we live our lives in a relationship with God right now. Notice that the great I am, the God of this universe, said, I know you and I know your deeds. In Matthew 25, 31 to 46, and Brian read uh, a chunk of, uh, of these verses, Christ tells of a shepherd on, a, on the great judgment day who separates the goats from the sheep. What was the criteria for this division? Well, let's look at that. I'm just going to read a specific part of this, and I think that this these verses within Matthew 25, 35 to 36, we see this criteria. 
4, starting in verse 35. For I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger and you invited me into your home. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you cared for me. I was in prison and you visited me. In verses 42 to 43, the same speech is repeated, but this time with no food, no drinks, no visits, and no hospitality given, both groups addressed Christ as Lord, but, so there was equal expectations. But they had failed to realize, the goats had failed to realize that there was... Uh, that the change that Christ makes in our hearts will manifest itself, ultimately in the expression of love. Most often, we, we tend to identify these as good works. Now, these good works will not save you. You will never be good enough, do enough, or give enough to get into heaven, to get to have this relationship with God. But the things which you which do save you, namely the grace and truth, will ultimately produce the things that won't save you, which are the works and service. And so out of this, this grace and faith and relationship with God, uh, you, you have these fruits, the fruits of the Spirit that come out. Therefore, on the basis of that one statement, which precedes Uh, each of the seven letters, I know what you do. We need to ask ourselves as a church, what is it we do? Are we allowing Christ to use our hearts and hands and voices to accomplish his good works? Could we as a Christian church, as the church built on the foundation of Christ, a body of believers, be judged on the merits of our works if we had to be? Have we given food to the hungry, a drink to the thirsty, clothed the naked? Have we sheltered the homeless within our city, visited those who were sick and in prison? Can we be doing better at these things? This church in and Sardis was blowing it. These people were blowing it. No one knew it, and no one knew it. They appeared to be alive. They, they are like many churches today who may be, uh, may be large and entertaining and have tons of programs going and fantastic music, may appear to be alive and thriving and growing and putting up this face, but yet, in reality, they may be dead. So what makes the church dead? I have two things that, as I was thinking through, when I think of something that is dead, two characteristics that come to mind that signify a person that is dead or even a church that is dead. So, the first one being, if you are dead, you lack compassion. 
There is no feelings in a dead person, no joy, no sorrow, no happiness, no anger, just nothing. The church in Sardis just did not care. There is no compassion within the church. It was going back to what, it it goes back to what Jesus was saying about being hungry, thirsty, and naked, and no one caring. A church that does not care, it does not care about the people's physical needs, it does not care about the people's spiritual needs. When a church is dead, there is no interest in outreach or evangelism or discipleship. There are all kinds of reasons why not, but the bottom line is, is they don't care or they don't know how to. The second one being, if you are dead, you lack movement. It's very obvious. When a person is dead, there's nothing happening. They're as still as they possibly could be. Dead people just do not move. Dead churches do not move. They offer up a lot of excuses about why they don't move. We've done it this way before. We are a traditional church. We tried it once and it didn't work. Why bother changing what we already have? The last pastor didn't do it that way. These are just some excuses that may possibly pop up. The truth of the matter is, is that if you aren't moving ahead and growing, then then something is wrong somewhere. What worked 100 years ago, what worked 20 years ago, what worked 10 years ago, what worked a year ago may not work this year. Businesses that refuse to change, to update, and to modernize eventually fail. And churches that refuse to change, to update, to modernize could eventually die. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying right now. I don't mean uh, we change the message, that we don't compromise God's word at all because God's word is timeless. It applies as much today as it did when it was uh, written. But the way we deliver it, how we go about doing it, where we take it, might need to change. And in doing so, not watering down the power that this word has within our lives and to change and transform us. So as I, as I close off this message, as I close off talking about the church in Sardis and, uh, and, the, and the fifth letter that is written to us, I want to leave us with three things that, that we can be challenged by right now. The first one being a direct statement from this letter is wake up. If we need to wake up, we should be waking up. We should be letting the power of God's word uh, wake us up. There is one thing, this was one of the first things that Christ was telling them, was warning them about, was exhorting to them and saying, that they needed to wake up. 
the first step to any program that you may take, whether, uh, whether, it's, uh, uh, whether it's dealing with alcohol or addiction or other things like that or grief or suffering, is we, you have to wake up and understand what's happening and admit to the problem that you're going through. The first step of a dying church is to wake up and admit that there needs to be a change. I am pretty sure that up to this point, most people in the church of Sardis would have thought that they were doing just fine. After all, there was no persecution happening, no heresies within the church. But yet Jesus is saying, wake up, look around you, and see how far you have fallen. The second thing that I want to say to you guys, and once again it comes from uh, what Jesus had said, is strengthen what little remains. Obviously the church wasn't a complete loss. Jesus was basically telling them to build on their strengths. They may not have been much, but there was obviously something worth hanging on to. Jesus was telling them everything had to go. We, had, we have some good things going for us. We need to strengthen and do even better in those areas. And then build on from there. And the last thing being, and this is a personal thing for me, and it's stop going through the motions in life. I remember a time when I was transitioning from high school in my grade nine year of high school. I had an amazing group of Christian friends in my elementary school and they ended up going off to a different high school than the one that I went to. And so I had to make new friends uh, and because going into high school, these friends that I ended up making were not the best of friends. And I slowly started seeing my friends my relationship with God taking a backseat and I was just going through the motions with it. There was a song that came on the radio during, uh, uh, at the beginning, a uh, couple months of grade nine as I started realizing what had been going on with my relationship with God at that moment. I began just going through the motions in my relationship and this song that I listened to on the radio stuck with me. And it wasn't, it's not an amazing song or anything like that, but the words within it spoke to me so clearly and, and penetrated my heart. And, and I, I felt God's presence as this song was being played for, played, played on the radio. And I listened to that song on repeat throughout that year. And it was a song of challenge for me. It was a song of desire for me. And this song is Matthew West's song called Motions. And I strongly believe that as a church, that we're not called to go through the motions in life. That God is calling us to something deeper. Calling us to this beautiful mission that he's given us. And how we go about doing it is by spending time in prayer with him, reading his word passionately, and letting him lead us in his will, 
and his mission here on earth, here in Peterborough, here as a church. Uh, and so I just want to play this song as we close off right now. And Alex is going to play it as I, as I walk off the stage. And I, I hope that this song challenges you just as much as it reached into my heart and challenged me. And that we're called as a church to wake up, to strengthen what remains and to stop going through the motions of life and passionately live in this relationship that God has given us and live, live out this mission that he's called us to.